Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise offering today? Woo! All right. You can have a seat. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, glad those who are watching online out in the great room. Uh, it's just so good to have our whole family uh, together this weekend. Uh, we got a lot of stuff that's going on uh, in the church, especially this summer. Things are kind of changing and opening up, and, and uh, we got some exciting plans. And uh, so Marcy and Jess, uh, who are involved in student ministry and kids ministry, have uh, some announcements today. So take a look at this. Hey Fairfax, just a couple of announcements for you before we continue with our service. We would love an opportunity to connect and get to know you before you leave here today. So if you're new, there is a table out in the lobby where we can maybe answer some questions that you have about the church, get to know you a little bit. We also have some groups that are getting started specifically for this summer here in the next couple of weeks, and we can help you find the right group for you. Or if you are looking for a way to serve, you can join a team. There's lots of different ways to serve around this place, and we need all the help that we can get to pull off our services each weekend. So we would love to talk to you before you leave here today. And if you are watching us online, we haven't forgotten about you. We still want you to get connected. All you have to do is push the buttons above. We have opportunities for you to serve and we have opportunities for you to join a small group and we just cannot wait to follow up with you. Jess and I have a super exciting announcement to share with you guys. This summer, our Fairfax kids and our Fairfax students teams are joining forces and we are gonna host a camp right here at Fairfax Church. That's right, it's gonna be so amazing. It's called Camp Grow and the dates are July 6th through 9th. And this camp is especially designed for elementary age kids. So register your child today. If you want more information, just head to our website. And during this week, we, our hope, our prayer, we just really hope that your kids are gonna grow in their friendships, are gonna grow in their gifts and their talents, and are gonna grow closer to God. So if you have an elementary school aged kid, then they're going to be a camper at Camp Grow. If you have a fifth or sixth grader or a seventh through 12th grader, we have a special opportunity for them this week. We are asking everybody from fifth grade up to be a volunteer, to be part of the volunteer team who's helping us pull off Camp Grow, both behind the scenes and as counselors hanging out with their campers during the day. So, and then we're gonna do some special service projects in the afternoon, and we have some worship services specifically for our middle and high school students in the evening. So it's gonna be an action-packed week, and we need everybody to register. So if you have an elementary-aged kid who will be a camper, then you have one place for them to register. If you have a fifth or sixth or a middle school or high school student, then we need them to register uh, at the special volunteer registration. So make sure you go to our website. Everything is all laid out there. Hopefully it's super clear. If you have any questions, feel free to email us. But we are so excited about Camp Grow and the opportunity that we have this summer together. We love you guys, and we cannot wait to see you at Camp Grow. All right, a lot of exciting things that are going to be happening around here uh, this summer. And all of this stuff, everything that we do is made possible because of your generosity. We one of our core values is generosity, and, and that's because we are in relationship with a generous God who has given everything to us and every, done everything for us. And part of our living that out is just to live generous lives and in every way, generous with our time, our energy, our gifts, our talents, our passions, and you guys are generous in so many ways that makes everything that we do possible, including 
the generosity with your finances. And, and I just wanna say thank you so much for that. It makes all the difference. It allows us to do what God has called us to do. And if you wanna give as an act of worship today, if you're watching online, there's a little give button at the top of the screen. You can click that and start the process. Uh, if you're here in the sanctuary, there are offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary. You can put your tithes and offerings there, or you can text uh, Fairfax Give to 77977. Okay, so this week we did a survey, and, and it was the biggest response to a survey that we've ever done in the history of our church. I have a feeling a lot of people are interested in this topic as we were talking about vaccinations and face masks and all of this and what you're comfortable with. So first of all, thank you for your response. We had nearly a 1,000 folks that filled out the survey, and so that was awesome. We learned a lot of really, really helpful information. One of the things we learned is that by the end of May, 80% of our congregation, the adults in our congregation, will be vaccinated. So that's really, really cool. And... Um, yeah, we've been praying for that. We, we were really kind of thinking that probably wouldn't happen until the end of June, but uh, it has happened more quickly, and we're thankful. And it allows us to kind of accelerate the timeline a little bit on some things. And so I wanted to kind of lay that out for you today. I'll, uh, I'll follow up with an email tomorrow just in case you kind of miss something that, that I say today. But first of all, starting in June, uh, we're gonna keep kind of the same in our adult services, keep kind of the same social distancing, all that, space between the rows, everything like that. But in June, we're gonna go with a face mask optional kind of thing for all of our adults. And so starting in two weeks, not next weekend, but the weekend after that, uh, as you come into this place, come into the building, whatever, that's entirely up to you. That if you wanna wear a face mask, if you're more comfortable with that, you can do that. If you wanna take that off, you are absolutely free to do that. And we'll kinda use June as a kind of a transitional month. We'll do that with our adult worship services. We'll provide lots of options. So we're continuing to stream all of this. If you feel more comfortable watching at home, we're gonna have a venue here in the, uh, in the building where if you just go, I just would prefer to be in a situation where everybody has a mask on and we're distanced and all that, we'll have a venue for that. So lots of lots of options for us starting in June. So that will happen in two weeks. So just kind of be uh, preparing yourself for that change. That'll be a big change uh, for us after about a year of being together in kind of the context that we're in now. Then in July, a couple things are gonna happen. One, in July, uh, we're gonna do away with the, the distancing things. We'll go to full capacity in our sanctuary, in our children's spaces, in our student spaces, all of that. And uh, for our kids' ministry, that's when uh, they'll be able to kind of take their face masks off if parents are comfortable with your child doing that. The reason we wanted to wait a month to do that with the kids is that with adults, it's a little bit more discretionary. You can make that decision. But you get a bunch of kids together and they're either all gonna have their face masks on or they're probably all gonna have their face masks off. And so we thought it was good just to maybe wait a month for that, kind of get uh, better prepared for that, and uh, we'll be at full capacity at that time. Same thing with our student ministry. A lot of our kids are getting vaccinated, and we're hoping by the end of June we'll be able to do the same thing with our student ministry as well, that they'll be able to come together, worship together, and, uh, and we'll not have to wear face masks. So that's gonna start in July. In June, it's gonna be for the adults. And uh, so just be praying for us, the congregation, as we just kind of walk that out. All right, so we're in this uh, 
series in the book of Acts. This is week seven. And this week we're looking at Acts 15. And Acts 15 is about a conflict that arose in the church, this church in Antioch that we talked about last week, this multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multinational congregation that has come together. And what we read about in Acts 15 is a conflict that arose in the church. One of the encouraging things, this really isn't the point of the message, but just one of the encouraging things is that, is that like conflict in the church has been there from the beginning. Like if you are looking for a church that does not, does not have conflict, you will not find that because every church has conflict, every family has conflict, every marriage has conflict, every relationship has conflict. The question is not whether there's going to be conflict in relationships when you bring people together. The question is how you deal with that conflict. And they deal with it in chapter 15 in a very, very interesting way and a really healthy way. The conflict they're dealing with in Antioch is a theological conflict. And this is kind of what we read, starting in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And that news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had been doing through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Now, the key question, and I know it's not like a contemporary question, we're not dealing with Levitical law stuff. We're dealing with other issues and that kind of the principles that we learn in this passage apply to the other kinds of things that we deal with. But the key issue here was about the role of the Levitical law, the law of Moses in people coming to faith. And basically what the argument was, was whether they had to follow the Levitical law, they had to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. Like you couldn't really be saved unless you followed the law of Moses. Now, the particular issue that's identified here is circumcision, but this conflict is about way more than just circumcision because with circumcision came all of the, the other Levitical laws. If you read through the book of Leviticus, you will read about all these laws, hundreds and hundreds of laws. There are laws about what is clean, what is unclean. There are laws about what you can touch, what you can't touch. There are laws about what you can wear, what you can't wear. There are laws about what you can eat, what you can't eat. There are laws about what you can do, what you can't do. Hundreds of laws in the book of Leviticus. And the Jewish Christians followed all of these laws because that's what they had done their whole lives. They were comfortable with that. It was just a part of their religious expression. It was a part of how they related to God. But now the gospel begins to spread to all of these different cultures and all of these different religions, and particularly in Antioch where you have 
all these nationalities present and ethnicities present and races present and cultures present, it begins to spread to all of these different folks. And these new believers don't know anything about the Levitical law. And the reason they don't know anything about the Levitical law is because Paul isn't teaching that. He's not teaching about the law of Moses. He is teaching about Jesus. He's telling them about Jesus and what Jesus has done for them in dying for them on the cross. And they're hearing the message of this God who loves them so much that he's willing to lay down his life for them. And they're saying, I want to be in relationship with a God like that. And they are giving their lives to Jesus and they're gloriously being saved. But they are not following the Levitical law or its customs. And some of the Jewish Christians are saying, Wait a second, we love the fact that all these people are getting saved, but that doesn't mean they can just ignore the Levitical law. That doesn't mean they can just ignore all of these customs that are such an important part of like religious expression and religious life. And this creates this huge conflict that has to be settled. So everyone travels to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the center of the universe for the Christian church. That's where James lived, that's where Peter lived, that's where the church started, uh, that's where, you know, kind of everything, that decisions that were made, it was made, it was like headquarters for the church. It was like the Rome for the early church. It was like, in our denomination, the Anderson, Indiana of the early church. It's like, that's where you came together to make decisions, to talk about things, all of that. So they all come together uh, in Jerusalem. And this is what happens next, starting in verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. In fact, um, Kyle talked about that message when Peter's view got changed as God began to teach him that this gospel is not just for folks who are following these particular Levitical laws, that this gospel is for everyone. And so his heart has been changed. And he says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples, talking about the new believers, a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. And then the whole assembly became silent as Barnabas and Saul started telling the miraculous stories of the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. So what Peter is saying to all of these Jewish Christians is basically this. We know that the Levitical laws are important to you. We know that the customs, your religious customs that you've been following your whole life, we know that those are important. They've been a huge part of your faith journey. But following all those laws is not what has secured your salvation. Following all those laws is not what has saved you. You've been saved. You've been made clean. You've been set free from your sins the same way that the non-Jewish believers have by the grace of God that's been extended to you because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. In fact, Peter says, you know, you know that all of these Levitical laws, all the laws of Moses, all that, and the customs, you know they were a burden that you couldn't even bear. And our four 
fathers couldn't even bear. In other words, you weren't even obedient to all of these customs. Like there's hundreds and hundreds of laws. Don't tell me you follow all of them because you don't. So you haven't even been faithful to all of that. Why would you wanna take all of those laws and place them as a burden on these new believers? And so the obvious question, of course, is then why the Levitical laws? Like if the Levitical laws were such a burden that not even the Jews could bear them, like why would God give Old Testament Israel all of those laws? Well, lots of reasons to that, but a couple things I wanna mention. One is this, first of all, all of these laws and all of these customs were pointing to something. They were pointing to someone. They were pointing to Jesus. Like all of the Levitical laws ultimately are pointing to Jesus. So you have all of these laws about what's clean and what's not clean and what makes you clean and what, ha what you have to do if you are not clean. All of that is pointing to the one who is the only one who can make us clean who is the only one who can cleanse us of our sins, who is the only one who can set us free from our sins. All of those laws are pointing to Jesus. Or you take about all of these sacrifices, right? This sacrificial system. All of that was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice who provides atonement and forgiveness and restoration. And on and on it goes. All of these laws, all of these customs, all of that was pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. That's the first reason. The second reason all of these Levitical laws were so important is that they were about Israel maintaining its cultural identity, its cultural uniqueness. They were, they were about keeping the Israelites culturally distinct at a time when Israel was the only community that was stewarding the scripture, stewarding the word of God, stewarding all of this stuff that was pointing to Jesus. They were the ones who were stewarding the words of the prophet. They were the ones who were stewarding like the, the, the sacrifices that were pointing to the ultimate sacrifice. And so if you lost the distinctiveness of Israel, you lost the distinctiveness of the message. If Israel ceased to exist, the message ceased to exist. So through all of these laws and all of these customs, God made it almost impossible for them to assimilate into another culture. Think about that. You have hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations and customs. Don't eat this, don't wear this, uh, do this, eat this, um, don't touch this, this will make you unclean. All of these hundreds of things as a community, if you're trying to follow all of those hundreds of laws, like you cannot possibly assimilate into the rest of culture. It just keeps you distinct. And, and God wanted to keep the people of Israel distinct because if Israel ceased to exist, the message ceased to exist. But now, what Paul and the apostles are saying is that those Levitical laws that were pointing to Jesus are no longer required. One, because the one that they were pointing to has arrived. Like Jesus is here, Paul is saying. Like, they, we don't need the laws that are pointing to Jesus. The one they're pointing to has arrived. 
The Messiah is here. The Savior is here. So we don't need those because the one who they're pointing to is already here. But secondly, because all of these new believers are now coming from all these different cultures and becoming a follower of Jesus isn't about adopting the cultures of another or the customs of another culture. It's about putting your faith in Jesus. So if you're Roman or if you're Asian or African or Greek, like you don't need to become culturally Jewish in order to become a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus isn't about adopting another culture. It's about putting your faith in Jesus and living that out in whatever culture you find yourself in. And this is where, over the last 2,000 years, where the church has oftentimes made some of its biggest mistakes. Because at times, the church has married certain cultures with the gospel. And so not only were people invited to put their trust in Jesus, they, it was kind of insisted that people adopt the culture of those who were sharing the gospel as well. So that the culture and the gospel got married together. Whatever that culture was, whether it was Western culture or white culture or whatever the dominant culture was that was sharing the gospel, oftentimes what happened is as the gospel was shared, the culture was shared, and not only were you invited to trust Jesus with your life, but you were kind, it was kind of insistent that you adopt the dominant culture as well. Now, this is where the church has just, like I said, made some huge mistakes. And sometimes, like just to bring it down a little bit, even in like our worship, we turn cultural things into spiritual things, right? I could give so many different examples where we turn cultural things into spiritual things. For instance, the length of a worship service is cultural, not spiritual. Like whether a, church, whether a service is an hour long or two hours long or three hours long or all day long, if we gather in Jesus' name, Jesus is present in our midst. Like that's what scripture promises. Or whether a service is highly planned or whether a service is very, very spontaneous is cultural. It's not spiritual. The Holy Spirit is at work in both of those. The Holy Spirit can be at work in planning that goes into a service. The Holy Spirit can be at work in spontaneity. The Holy Spirit can work in all of that. The style of music is cultural, right? Not spiritual. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people regardless of the musical style. So whether, it's, whether we're singing hymns, whether we're singing choruses, whether we are singing Gregorian chants, like it doesn't matter. God inhabits the praise of his people. And the list just goes on and on and on of things that sometimes are cultural that we kind of turn into spiritual. Culture's important. And every congregation has its own culture. Every family has its own culture. Every company has its own culture. But anytime we suggest that the culture is Jesus or that the gospel is Jesus plus our culture, we're doing the same thing that some of the Jewish Christians were doing in Antioch. Here's the principle. The further you move away from the core of the gospel, the more likely you are to make the gospel Jesus plus something else. Like the further you move away from the core, the further you move away from Jesus, the more likely you are to make the gospel Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. That's just kind of the nature. So how did the church 
handle this conflict? Well, after all the debate, James gets up and he says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, let's not put a bunch of cultural things that are clearly Jewish on these new believers who are not Jewish. That'll just slow down the advance of the, uh, the, advance of the gospel. It'll just cause people to focus on the wrong thing. They'll just keep people from coming to Jesus. So they write this letter. I love this. They write this letter to the non-Jewish believers in the Antioch church to communicate all of this to them and their decisions. And this is what it says. To the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization, disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we have written here. And this is what they wrote. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You, to, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Kind of a quick ending to the letter. The men sent off, were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together, delivered the letter, and the people read it, and they were glad for its encouraging message. Now, we don't have time to unpack that whole thing. There's a lot of different layers to that. But let me just mention, let me highlight three things real quick as we close. One is this. First of all, there's an acknowledgement here of the importance of cultural practices, the importance of cultural customs. There's nothing here that indicates that the Jewish Christians had to stop following the Levitical law as they followed Jesus. That was a part of their culture, that was important to them, that had been a part of their religious experience their whole life. They just needed to stop insisting that everyone else follow it as well. They needed to stop making the gospel Jesus plus the Levitical law, Jesus plus the law of Moses, Jesus plus something else. And I love that because it acknowledges the importance of culture and how we get attached to certain cultural things, and that's fine. Like, that's just a part of who we are. We get a, attached to certain ways of doing things, certain ways of expressing our faith, all of that. It, it, it really kind of acknowledges the importance of that, but it refuses to equate those cultural practices with the gospel. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. There's a call here to be sensitive to cultural differences. Not only are the Jewish Christians called to be sensitive to the culture of the non-Jewish Christians, the non-Jewish Christians are called to do the same. They're told, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Now, the call to refrain from sexual immorality, that's just like reinforcing an important sexual ethic. But the other things have to do with cultural sensitivity. Like in essence, what the apostles are saying to these new believers is, we know that all of this Levitical law stuff is irrelevant to you. We know it's not important to you. We know it's not a huge part of your faith, all of that. But it's incredibly important to many of the people that you worship with. It's incredibly important to many of the people that you love. So out of love and respect for them, we think it would be good for you to avoid some of the things that they find 
the most offensive. It's just such a great reminder. I love this about the gospel, and I love this about the practical way in which the gospel gets lived out in the early church. It's just such a great reminder that love just trumps everything, that when you love someone, it's never about like, what can I do? What am I allowed to do? What am I free to do? It's always about what does love compel me to do? And sometimes love compels us to do things, or sometimes love compels us to not do things that may not be a big deal to us, but are a really big deal to other people that we care about and that we love. The third thing is this. There's the important role that community plays in the discerning of the will of God. One of the most common questions that people deal with and one of the most common conversations I have with folks is like, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is on this. Like, how do I know the will of God? How do I discern the will of God? How do I know this is not just what my thoughts are, but this is really what God's thoughts are? How can I really kind of have a sense of certainty about all that? Whether it's about a job, whether it's about moving, whether it's about a relationship, like everyone who's a follower of Jesus, the desire is to say, I really do want to do the will of God on this. I'm just not quite sure what the will of God is if it's not kind of chapter and verse and I can go to this verse and go, okay, that's what God says. Like, how do I discern the will of God in all of these other issues of life? And what we see here is the importance that community plays in discerning the will of God. Look at verse 28. I love this verse. It said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. This is James talking. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following. And he goes on to share what that is. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us? Like, how did they know what seemed good to the Holy Spirit? How'd they know what the Holy Spirit wanted? Like, it's clear how they would say it seemed good to us. It seemed good to us that you should do this. But that's not what James says. He says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that you do this. So what's this sense of certainty that what seems good to them also seemed good to the Holy Spirit? And one of the things that gave them confidence in the decision they were making was the fact that it was a decision that was made in community. Like they heard from different people. They, they listened to different people. They got different points of view. When you read the whole chapter, this Jerusalem council was like a pretty amazing thing where all these people came from all these different groups who had very different ideas about what should be done. And they, they listened, they heard, they got input. All of that happened. And then... And then out of that, and they, they examined the scriptures, they looked to the scriptures together, and as they went through that process, they began to sense this is what the Lord wanted them to do. Discerning God's will is definitely a team sport. Like making big decisions in isolation is usually a recipe for disaster. Like it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to me, is not nearly as reliable as it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That when we try to kind of go into isolation to make decisions and to try to sense what it is that the Holy Spirit is saying, we are way more likely to get it wrong than when we invite others into that process. When we say it's not, seems good to the Holy Spirit and me, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit 
and to us. That's why community is so important. That's why the church is so important. That's why fellowship is so important. That's why surrounding yourself with Christian friends is so important. That's why being in small groups is so important. That's why being on teams is so important. Because like this whole thing of getting a sense of what God is saying, how his Holy Spirit is at work, like that is so much something that is the product of community, even if you ultimately own the decision. This is not about saying that understanding God's will is about consensus decision making. This isn't about getting 15 people together and saying, okay, let's all decide what it is. Oftentimes, you have a decision to make that you are the one that owns that decision. We have a lot of folks in our church who are in positions where the buck stops with you, that you have to make the decision, that ultimately you're the one who owns that decision. All the relationships that we make in life with about, about relationships and, and, and the decisions we make about relationships, ultimately we have to make those decisions. Like other people can't make decisions about our relationships and how we're, and how we're entering into those relationships and what those relationships are all about and should we enter into that relationship or should we get out of that relationship. Like Those are not decisions that a group of people make. They're decisions that we make. But in making those decisions, God is saying, and what's happening here in the church is that others are being brought in to those decisions. And that's why community and fellowship is so important so that we can say not only it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and me, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. Now let me just end by asking you some questions. First one is this. Has the gospel started to become Jesus plus something else in your life? Like we probably would never say that, but oftentimes that can easily begin to happen? Has it become Jesus plus my political views? Or Jesus plus my traditions? Or Jesus plus my worship preference? Or Jesus plus something else? What's really interesting about what happened 2,000 years ago about all these Levitical laws that none of us are thinking about now is that the principle that's going on here is as relevant as today. Because what was going on there was a bunch of Christians who had come to a point of saying the gospel is Jesus plus this. And they were judging other people's, the authenticity of other people's faith by the plus this, not by the Jesus piece. Not by where they put their faith in Jesus, not by where they put their trust in Jesus, but, but by the plus that they had added. And I see that happening so much in the church today. Not, I'm not talking about our congregation. I'm just talking about in general. I see that happening where the gospel has started to become this Jesus plus this. And if the plus this isn't the same for this person as it is for me, then I begin to kind of question where they are in their journey, and is it, authentic, is it authentic, and is it real, and are they really a Christian if, they, if, if, if this is different, or this is different, or this is different? No, the gospel is not Jesus plus this, it's Jesus, and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so if you find yourself kind of in this, the gospel has started to become a Jesus plus something else, just ask God to, 
separate those things for you. It's not that the something else doesn't matter. It's not that it's not important. It's just that it's not the core of the gospel. Second question is this. Where is God calling you to become more sensitive to the cultural differences of people that you love? People that you care about. People who their experiences may not be your experiences. Their hurts may not be your hurts. Their journey may not be your journey. The things that are important to them, that matter to them, that they feel like need to be addressed may not be the things that you think need to be addressed or is important to you. But where is God calling you to say, okay, yeah, there may be some cultural differences here, but out of love, like I want to be sensitive to those differences. I've had a lot of conversations this year with folks who are like, I, I don't see why this is that important or this is that important or this is that important. I don't get this. And, and my response almost always is to say, but if there are people who you love, who you care about, who it's genuinely important to them, why wouldn't it be important to you? Like that's what love compels us to do. So where is it that God is, is perhaps calling you to be more sensitive to cultural differences with people that you love? And then the last thing is this, what are the decisions that you're facing where you definitely just need to invite some other people into the process? Whether it's a decision that you're trying to make about your job or you're trying to make about whether you're gonna move or not or about a relationship that you're in or whatever it is. And maybe it's a decision about whether you're gonna put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you're going to really trust his promise to redeem you and restore you and forgive you and all of that. And, and that's one of those decisions. No one else can make that decision for you. That's not a group decision. That's not a consensus decision. That's not like, well, let's all get together and decide whether I'm going to accept Christ as my savior. But sometimes we just get stuck as we're looking at that decision, trying to make that decision. We get stuck because we isolate ourselves from others. So if you're struggling with that decision, if you're like, if I were to really be honest, I'd have to say I haven't really come to a place where I put my trust in Jesus. I, I really haven't come to a place where I've accepted his promise to redeem me and restore me and forgive me because of what he's done for me on the cross. Invite some other people into that process. People that you trust, people that love you, people that you know care about you, people that love Jesus and love you, people you can ask questions to, who you can process with, who you can talk with, who you can kind of work all of that through so that you can make a good decision about this God who loves you so much he'd rather die for you than live separate from you. God, we just come before you today and we're so thankful for the narratives of scripture that even though they deal with particular issues that perhaps we're no longer dealing with today that the principles are just so powerful and so true. And so first of all, Lord, we just repent of times when we perhaps have turned the gospel into Jesus plus something else. And maybe we didn't even realize what we were doing. It just kinda 
began to happen, that our little version of Christianity, our little cultural view of Christianity, the way in which we experience Christianity, whatever it is that we turned it, the gospel into Jesus plus something, and we just repent of that. We confess that and repent of that. We know that the gospel is about Jesus and Jesus alone and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, Lord. Lord, we pray that we can grow in our sensitivity as followers of Jesus to the cultural differences around us. The people who perhaps are dealing with things that are different than what we're dealing with, have stories that are different than ours, journeys that are different than ours, focused on things that are different than we're focused on, Lord, that we, out of love for them, compelled by love, that we can be increasingly sensitive to those who are dealing with different kind of cultural realities. And Lord, we give you thanks for the body of Christ. We give you thanks for community, for the church. So often we, we sometimes kind of go, well, it's, maybe the church isn't that important. It's just my little personal relationship with Jesus. But Lord, that, that all gets lived out in the context of community. And so we're thankful for the church. We're thankful for small groups, for teams, for Christian friends, for people that we can surround ourselves with, Lord that can help us to make good decisions. And Lord, I, um, I just today, just as we often do when we come together, for anyone who's in kind of trying to make a decision about just you, the gospel, what you've done for them on the cross, your promise, your promises, of redemption and forgiveness and salvation and all of that, Lord, I pray that today could be the day that they say yes to that. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand together as we worship? Him?